Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. So great to see uh, our kids of hope. And this month, we're uh, really focusing on that uh, area of ministry. So if you serve in our Kids of Hope team in any capacity at all, would you just stand so we could just uh, say well done to you and honor. There they are, some folks in the room. Boom. Great. Yay. Super. I always think when I have them stand, don't you? I'm like, who's with the kids? You ever wonder that? I always kind of like, ooh, like I'm wondering about that. But uh, anyhow, and I want to remind everybody, uh, with it being Kids of Hope Month, we're kind of focusing on that ministry. When you leave here and you go out into the lobby, there's some things you can do. We have written the name of every child uh, that's in our Kids of Hope uh, ministry area on uh, a little heart out there. Take one of those hearts, and we're encouraging uh, people to pray for them. There's also a way for you to look into more about how you might serve or might be uh, connected with that ministry in some fashion. God's doing some really great things. And here's the thing we always say about our kids of hope. That's not child care, guys. It's just happening on the other side uh, of these walls right here. Um, we're raising another generation uh, to love Jesus out there. So we're doing some really, really important work. We commend that to you. All right. Uh, if you're, if you can, and you're willing, I want you to grab your notes. We're going to do some work. I've got a lot of stuff I want to share today. I'm very passionate about it. And before the service is over, I hope to have offended everybody in the room and online. That's kind of my goal today, right? I'm going to throw long and throw for the end zone today. We are in week six uh, of our series. We're calling the series, the best year yet. And we're having important conversations in many ways about how it is uh, that our faith works. If I were to hand out uh, a microphone and we were to just kind of take the hour and go around the room and say, hey, what, what's the most important thing that you do in your faith that has really helped your faith grow? We would have quite a list. And so when you think about it uh, in so many ways, uh, as we're talking about faith, we're talking about all of the different parts and pieces of what genuine faith actually looks like. In a way, we're pulling it apart. We're having a, deep, a deeper conversation about it. If our faith is going to work, we have to know we have to, it's all got to be connected in the right way, right? It's got to, you know, it's got to be useful. We don't want to just, you know, kind of, you know, just uh, grab a bunch of junk, put it in a drawer, you know, call it our faith drawer and have that not really connected in meaningful ways to, to really, uh, to work. Does that make sense? I feel like I'm not making sense, but... Anyhow, I'm trying to make sense. Um, I was thinking about that this week. I had this kind of funny experience. I had, um, I was pulling out of our neighborhood, and and uh, and I was driving through the neighborhood. There were people walking and jogging, and and I felt like people were kind of waving at me as I went out the neighborhood. And I thought it was weird. You know, more than normal. I live in a. I think our neighborhood's friendly, but I thought this is. I mean, this is like people are kind of up in their friendly game in our neighborhood, you know, and they're waving. And then I pulled out of my neighborhood and I pulled onto a main street in our town. I pulled onto Crestwood and there are people running and jogging on Crestwood. And the same thing was going on. People were kind of, I thought they were waving and I thought this is awesome. Maybe there's like a town thing about this. So I get over to Publix 
And I get over to Publix and I go in and I, I, I pick up some stuff. Beth had asked me to pick up. I come, I get back in my car. Nothing's uh, on, everything's off in my car. That's what I do, turn everything off. I got back in the car and I'm dr- backing my truck out and I drive out of the parking lot and I hear this horrible noise, like awful, like the noise that sounds like you're getting a new truck. <laughs> you ever had that noise? Like, right? And uh, I want to show you, actually, this is actually what I found underneath my truck. And my exhaust had come off, and I, and, and I was dragging it. So nobody was waving at me. They were pointing at me. Uh, my, my, my mom tells a great story that I had a great aunt, and, and when my mom was growing up in Stark, which is the middle of nowhere. How many of y'all have ever heard of Stark, Florida? That's where my, all right, like five of us, great. And, um, you know, she lives there in the middle of nowhere. And she said that the great story in that town, my great aunt who worked downtown was uh, leaving work one out or pulled into work and she backed into this spot with her old car. And, and when she was leaving work in the afternoon, what she didn't realize is she had connected her car to the car behind her. And she dragged that car all the way home. I'm not making that up. Didn't, didn't even know it. People are pointing at her. She's waving. Hi, everybody. It was the mayor's car. She didn't work there any longer after that happened. So really what we're talking about right now in this series, we're talking about the, the, the parts and the pieces of genuine faith. And we're using Peter's words to help us. And, and I want to read this. It's not on the screen, but listen again to this wonderful, wonderful uh, litany that Peter offers to us about the faith that you and I are working toward this morning and thinking about in our own lives. He says, God in his divine power has given us absolutely everything we need to live a life that honors him through our knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. And through this glory and goodness, he has given to us his very great and precious promises so that through them, those great and precious promises, you can participate even in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world that's caused by our own evil desires. And this is what uh, Peter is writing about our faith, that God, God has outfitted us with everything. And this is what we're learning right now, that God's promises are perfect for us. They're perfect, but our faith is imperfect. And, and, and the translation really is that our, our, God's promises are complete, our faith is incomplete. And so he's inviting us, and then Peter goes on and he says, this, I'm going to put this on the screen, we're going to read this out loud together, verse 5. And so Peter goes on and he says, then for, say it with me, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance. What I want to do this morning is I want to have a conversation with you about perseverance and how it is that you and I uh, can build a life and a faith that goes to the end. Uh, Peter's writing about it, and he says this. He goes, make every effort. He says, do all you can. He's throwing all this energy and emotion to it. He's, he's basically saying, spare no expense to add to your faith perseverance. And it's almost like he's saying with eyes wide open, know what it is you're going into, 
Make some pre-decisions about that and finish it all the way. Go all the way to the end with it. And I just love this, and I get so passionate about this. So the question becomes, really, how can you and I fashion together a life, a Christian experience, that finishes well? And, and by that, I mean, really, one that flourishes, not just white knuckles it, right? You know what white knuckling is? Anybody know what that is, right? A couple of weeks ago, Beth and I went over to the fair. And uh, yeah, you know where I'm going, right? We went to the fair and uh, we never go to the midway. My wife, when we got married, she said, I don't do that. Don't take me there. I'm not doing that. But she said, but we love to go to the fair and go over there. And we go to where all the animals are and all of that stuff. Cause she's a farmer's daughter and she wants to go look through all the agricultural stuff. She wants to go look at all the animals and all that. But we were breezing by the midway and there was this ride going on that kind of was, it was going around this way and then it would kind of go this way. And there was a little boy that was on the ride and every time it would go past, you know, there's a controller, the guy that's in charge. And every time it would go past him, you could hear him. He'd go, let me off. (laughs) And it, it would come around, let me off. Like the fourth time, it's like, for the love of God, let me off. You know? And, and, and sometimes I, I see people living the Christian experience, and that's what it looks like. Let me off. But that's not what Peter's talking about. Peter's talking about that you and I can have a religious experience. I don't even like to use that language. We could have a religious experience that outfits us for everything that our life will require of us. And how many of you know life requires a lot? Just requires a lot. A part of my work sometimes as a pastor most certainly is to be with people in very difficult moments of their lives. And that's, that's kind of my Hippocratic oath, you know, when I got ordained. Will, will you do that? Will you, will you be willing to amend your schedule when emergency calls? And, and emergency calls. And, and, and so, you know, you and I have this privilege to embrace these very great and precious promises that, that measure the gap between God's perfect promise and our imperfect faith. This is the conversation we're in. And it's precious. It's important. I was thinking recently, Beth and I are doing some things to our house. Now that the kids are out, we're like, it's our house. Finally, it's our house. And um, so we, we're making some, you know, some things are going on, and, and we're excited about that. And, and uh, I, was, uh, I was thinking the other day that, that, that every house, you know, you've got stuff in your house that you, you wonder how it got there, <laughs> right? Beth says, I'm a reason a lot of it got there. And then, and then there's stuff that you go, it's precious. This is like important stuff. And I was thinking the other day that there's some things like if, you ever thought this, like if your house catches fire, what are you going to grab on the way out, right? And I remember, uh, you know, of course, if, if our house caught fire, once, once I made sure my wife was safe, I shared this illustration at nine and this dude met me in the hallway and he said, you didn't say you'd take your wife out first, and you said that publicly to everybody in the room. I was like, uh, okay, thank you for sharing that. So anyway, um, once my wife was out, okay, once my wife was out, um, 
there are some things, and I, I thought of there's one, there, there are a couple things I would grab. One of them I want to show you. It's, it's just a card. Uh, and I keep it in my office. It's on my shelf when, I, when I'm preparing sermons and when I study. And it's a card from my mom and dad uh, written to Beth and to me on our anniversary. And in the card, on the inside of the card, my dad tells me, he goes, I love you and I'm so proud of you. And it's the last thing he wrote me. He died about seven days later. And so I thought, if the house catches fire and Beth is out, <laughs> I'm, I'm grabbing that card. Another one was from my older brother that is also in the office. I'll show it to you. It, uh, he wrote me a card when we moved into this building. And some of you know have been part of this history, part of the story of our church. We were 14 years in rented facilities, set, set up, tear down, rah, rah, rah. And, uh, and, and you, know, you know, I don't know how it is with your brothers, but with my, my brothers, we don't, we don't show like a lot of deep, like emotional, like we beat each other up. That's how we show each other we love one another. And I got this card in the mail, and it's, it's been so meaningful to me. And he, and, and he used a line in there where he just talks about, hey, you've persevered. You could have quit, but you didn't. And, and here's what I want to tell you. Wouldn't you agree, we, we live in a culture that, that is not finishing a lot of stuff they started, a lot of stuff they set out to do. We just, we are, we're not doing that. And, and I want to say a word of disclaimer. I mean, God's grace is there. Some of us are here. We're all here, and we're all products of things that we have left incomplete and not done. So we're all products of that. But, but while I say that and why I want to say there's grace in the room, I want to push the perseverance button just a bit today. Is that okay? Can I just push on that a little bit? Uh, one of my uh, favorite authors is an author by the name of Eugene Peterson. And uh, he is just great uh, man of God. And he was the one who wrote the translation called The Message. But, he, but he's a lifelong pastor. He's in heaven now. But he wrote a, a book that I read early in my ministry entitled A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. Because he said, that's what you're signing up to do when you sign up for ministry. It's like a long obedience in the same direction. This is not a sprint. It's a marathon. And uh, I, I've, I've remembered this quote that he, he, he wrote in this book many from, from years ago. And he says this, there's one aspect of the world that I've been able to identify as harmful to Christians, really, he said, is the assumption that anything worthwhile can be acquired all at once. We assume that if something can be done at all, it can be done quickly and efficiently. Our attention spans, he says, are, have been conditioned by 30-second commercials. Our sense of reality has been flattened by a 30-page abridgment. It's not difficult in such a world to get a person interested in Jesus. It's just terrifically difficult to sustain their interest. Wow. He said, millions of people in our culture make decisions for Christ, but there's a dreadful attrition rate. Many people have been born again, but the evidence for mature Christianity seems slim. In our kind of culture, even news about God can be sold if it's packaged freshly, but when it loses its novelty, it's quickly thrown away. He writes, there's a great market for religious experience in our world, but there's little enthusiasm for the patient acquisition of virtue. There's little inclination to sign up for a long apprenticeship in what earlier generations simply referred to as holiness. 
One of Paul's words says this. He says, and now he who has begun a good work in you will carry it on to completion. So really this whole idea of apprenticeship, really this whole idea where where, where Peter's writing that you and I can participate in the divine nature. Here's the invitation that Peter is inviting us into. He's inviting us into an invitation that we can partner with God to grow our faith all the way through life's journey. And we can finish what we've started. And here's what I just want to say to you all this morning. That's the goal. That's the goal. When I was... Um, Years ago, uh, when I think God really first hatched in me a desire to plant a church, not go to an existing church, but start a church where there wasn't a church kind of idea, uh, I, I was a part of a, um, a cohort, a doctoral cohort, that they were doing this new experiment at the seminary, and it was a by-invitation-only kind of a thing. I applied. I didn't expect to be chosen. I was chosen. And I was with 14 other doctoral students, and we were going to be a part of this experience for a year. And it was my first opportunity to meet the guy who would be the convener of this experience and take us through all the coursework for the doctoral degree. And his name was Dr. Ellsworth Callis. And uh, when uh, Dr. Callis began this adventure with these 14 uh, doctoral students, um, he was 74 years old. When he 74. And so we got there, we went away to this retreat. I'll never forget this, y'all. I have to tell you, we went to, it was first, first uh, 24 hours was a silent retreat. We were at St. Meinrad's Abbey. We went, he took us out there. We're out there and we're just silent for 24 hours. And then, you know, we, we convened together and Dr. Callis is going to give us some parting, encouraging, uh, you know, encouraging words as we begin. And he stands up in front of us. I hope you'll forgive my language. And he, he says, I, I, I want to I talk to you for a moment. He said, you've just had 24 hours of silence before the Lord. We're about to embark on this experience. A lot has been poured into you. A lot will be poured into you. A lot has been given to you. You've been selected among many people. He said, I want to spend a few moments now and talk to you about what I refer to as the bitch goddess of success. And he had everybody's attention. <laughs> kind of like I got your attention right now. And he said, part of what I've noticed, he said, across my years as a pastor that is corrosive to the human soul is that we would all reach the place where we begin to believe all the good press about us. And he said, as you go on in Christian, what he called, referred to as Christian perfection, he said, let me remind you of the challenge. You must decrease, and he must increase. I've never forgotten that. Uh, it's important that if we're going to finish well, that we, we never believe all the press about us. Uh, when John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus, he was, he was the one that everybody was looking to, and he said, there's a moment when I must peel back and Jesus is coming on. This is part of what it means to move forward in Christian perfection. And, and not only did Dr. Callis, what is so interesting is not only did he really challenge us in that way, here's how I saw him model it. Because over the next year, we would fly all over the country and in some of the different places in the world. We flew to Korea and we're doing all these incredible things and learning. And I happened to notice as a natural rhythm that Dr. Callis would traditionally find a seat in any of those 
uh, meetings where we were meeting with staff or key leaders and people all around the globe, and, and, uh, which was part of this experience. And he would find a seat near the front, not ostentatiously way out front, but up to the front enough, and he would take out this little notebook and he would take notes. And he would learn. And let me remind you again, he was 74. And by the end of that experience, I, I can remember praying these prayers. I still pray these prayers. Lord God, would you let that model of that man's humility and how he lived his life be a model for me in the way that I might live mine? There's something about that. I wonder what it would look like this morning if you and I all took a moment together and we, we wrote down all the essential commitments in our lives that we've said yes to, and we made a commitment right here and now to finish them all well. What would that look like? I, I was thinking about this, and I thought, you know what? Imagine, if you will, picture a man or a woman who spends their entire life working, showing up to work, doing what's asked of them, completing their assignments, and retiring one day only to receive the congratulation and admiration of their colleagues. Imagine, picture a young person crossing the finish line of high school, getting the anticipated degree, maybe going on to get another degree to follow through exactly in what they've always wanted to do and then doing it day in and day out with excellence. Picture, if you will, a married couple spending their entire lives together, now enjoying the exclusive love of a lifetime of shared experience, tender, constant, faithful, still ascending, a relationship not measured in the accomplishment, but in sacrifice, not in miles covered, but in miles traveled together along a road they gladly chose. Picture a son or daughter one day returning the favor to their parents and gently and faithfully caring for their mom, caring for their dad, and extending to them in their final days the kinds of love that their parents extended to them as their life was just coming online. Imagine and picture, if you will, one day, your heavenly Father, when you take your last breath on earth and your first breath in eternity, that much like the story of a prodigal son, your father scanning the horizon for you to cross into their view, into his view, and is there to greet you with open arms and offer the words to you we all long to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant enter into the joy of your master. What is required of you and I to finish well, to persevere? You and I live in a world that is measured back on that. And you and I are here this morning and we are worshiping a God that even in our worst moment offers reconciliation and hope, but then turns us to the tasks at hand and invites us once again into the long obedience of the same direction. I was uh, thinking about this conversation, and I thought of these words, and I want to read them to you. Uh, now, I want to just give you a heads up. Three verses will sound familiar, because these are the verses we always hear. But there's a whole litany of things underneath and supporting these three verses that we might not hear. And so I, I'm going to read all of it so that you hear it. So the writer of Hebrews is scribing, and this is what they say. 
Therefore, they're talking about faith, and then they say, therefore, we're having this conversation about faith. And because we are, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and sin that easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race that's marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before me endured the cross, scorning its shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Now listen to what he says here. In your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you completely forgotten this world, a word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, my son or my daughter, don't make light of the Lord's discipline. Do not lose heart if he rebukes you because the Lord's discipline disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone who accepts, he accepts as a son or as a daughter. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you're not disciplined and everyone undergoes it, then you're not legitimate true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, he says, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. Uh, how much more should we submit to the father of spirits and live, he says. They, they disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. Wow. For no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but later on it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. Now that's the word right there. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Uh, this writer's offering us a lot of insight. And, and, and then he, and, and, and all of this wisdom, I, I want to say there's so many things here. Uh, he talks about the cloud of witnesses, right? And for those of you who don't know, here's what the cloud of witnesses are. These are people that have gone uh, ahead of us in their faith, and now they're in eternity cheering us on. Isn't that a great image? Like they're, they're, they're saints. Maybe it's a, a grandparent, it's an uncle or a parent or somebody. They've gone on, they're cheering us on. Uh, he writes, the, the author writes about what Jesus has done. He they talk about the importance of hardship and the lessons that are learned from it and that God in his mercy disciplines us and, and it produces good things in us. And then in all of this goodness, watch, turns the conversation to perseverance. And when he turns it to perseverance, it's like the author is saying, if you want it, you got to think hard about three things and I want to give them to you, all right? The first one I think is this. If you want it, you have to learn how to say no to distractions. Say that with me. Say no to distractions. Here's, here's what the writer is actually communicating when he says this. Uh, he goes on and, and simply says, you know, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw everything off that hinders. And the word hinder communicates this idea, watch this, uh, of this inactive barrier that you've run into, kind of like a speed bump that slows you down on your journey. That's like the hindrance. I was thinking about this because, you know what, um, we live in a world, I believe, that has sold us on a big lie. You know what the lie is? There's a lot of lies out there, but you know what this one is I'm talking about? That you can have it all. That's the lie. As if, and can I just say this, as if having it all is worth pursuing anyway, right? Come on. 
I remember when I was early in my ministry, um, Beth and I, we're, we served a church north of us about an hour. And uh, we came in and the, the, the past senior pastor said, hey, uh, because you're young and good looking. No, he didn't say that. He said, because you're young. He said, um, I want you, you and Beth, you guys, you guys are young married. I want you to lead the young married group. There's kind of a college group. There's a young married group. I want you to lead that. And uh, I'll never, I thought, well, that's great. And we started to do that. Some of these people became our friends, still our friends to this day. And, um, and we had never done this before. It was up in Martin County. And uh, we, um, th- they did this uh, a progressive dinner. But here's the thing in Martin County. They did a progressive dinner by boat. And that sound cool? So I want you to think about this. So we have left seminary. We have no money. Did I say we had no money? We had no money, like no money. And all of a sudden, I'm surrounded with a group of people that live on the water, and we're doing progressive dinners by boat. And I remember the first time I, I did that, I was like, wow, this is crazy. And, and then the very next day, my boss called me into his office, and he sat me down. And he said something I've never forgotten. He said, I've already learned about you. He said, you love your wife. I said, yes, sir, I do. And she loves you. He said, I can't figure that out, but we'll just let that, <laughs> we'll let that go as it is. And uh, he said, um, I just want to say something to you as you begin your ministry. He said, don't ever be intimidated by people with money. I said, excuse me? He says, don't ever be intimidated by people with money because um, you have what they want. I still wanted a boat, but (laughs) that was, that was helpful to me. We get intimidated, don't we? And here, here's, here's the idea. I want to remind everybody, you can't have it all. So you get to choose what's important. Here's what, here's what the writer would say. Choose wisely. Choose wisely. This is such an important topic for us. Uh, I am reading a book right now. I'll show you the copy of it. It's John Mark Comer's book. It's entitled The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. I got it for Christmas from somebody in our church. I don't know what they were trying to communicate to me. It's a great book. I'm very familiar with Pastor John Mark Comer. He's a great man of God. And uh, his friends were asking him, he wrote this book, it's kind of shaking up the Christian circles a little bit. It's a, it's a challenging read. And I'm about halfway through it, and he, uh, his friends were asking him, they said, John, like, how in all of your busyness do you have the time to write a book? And you know what his answer was? He said, I write books while you guys watch TV. <laughs> yeah. Choose wisely what you want. The writer of Hebrews is saying, if, if you're going to finish well, if you're going to persevere, you're going to have to eliminate from distraction. And I want to say this. I want to say this. He says distraction, and then he says this real quickly. He says, and then the sin that so easily entangles. You notice that? That's not distraction. That's something different. So distraction is this inactive kind of speed bump that gets in the way. Here's the way he describes sin. It's this active thing that is pursuing you to entangle you and destroy you. Challenging, right? We need to be reminded of this. 
We don't talk about sin as much anymore. Kind of think we should. So we got to say no to distraction. And then he goes on and he says this, we have to, we have to learn how to say yes to pain. He says, run the race. Run the race. We all have a race. Are you running your race? I wonder if that would be a conversation we'd say around here every now and again. Hey, you running your race? How's your race? You running? Doing it? Getting it done? And, uh, uh, and, and, and we live in a culture, I'm just going to say this, this is probably where I start offending people. Um, we don't like pain. Those who are studying stuff right now in our culture and why we're in the mess we're in, they're saying a lot of the reason we're in the mess we're in is because we're all in some way trying to self-medicate ourselves out of some brokenness, some difficulty somewhere. And some of us do it, you know, with, with drugs and alcohol. Some of us do it with sex. Some of us do it with, you know, all kinds of inactivity and all kinds of weird stuff. And we're just trying to inoculate ourselves from all of this stuff that's going on in our culture. I was talking to my daughter a year ago. Uh, her older daughter is an RD at a Christian university. And she called me one afternoon. And she said, Daddy, I just need to talk to you. I said, baby, what do you want to talk about? She said, you know, I had this girl that came to me that's, it, that's living in our, one of our, the dorms that I lead, and, and she's leaving the university. And I said, why is she leaving the university? And listen to this. She goes, because she got a B in a class. I said, excuse me? And she goes, she got a B in her class, and she came to me, and, she, and this is what she said. She said, I've never had a B in, in any of the classes I've ever had. Even when I was in high school, she said, my mom made sure I always got an A. Now, time out. Hey, moms and dads, you're not helping your kid when you do that. And kids, they're not helping you when you do that. And so she graduates high school, goes to university, first time she's alone, trying to figure out her life, trying to figure out her thing, gets, gets a B on a test, and it uncorks her. Y'all, that's a, that's a red flag, right? I was reading a year ago a book by, I would commend to you, by Angela Duckworth. It's called Grit, which is another word just for perseverance. And Angela Duckworth, it's interesting, she said this. Um, she said that uh, success is not connected to your IQ. Someone say amen to that. Amen. It's not connected to your looks. I'll say amen to that. It's not connected to your wealth or to, to your talent. Your success is connected, she said from her studies, on your ability to finish what you start. Boom. Amen. And if we're going to finish what we start, we got we to say no to the distractions. We got to say no to sin. We got to say, we got to become willing to say yes to pain. James, half-brother, Jesus said it this way. He said, it is the testing of your faith that produces endurance and perseverance. It's, it's when life bumps up against your faith and you go, you know, that's not as deep as I, I think it should be. I should develop that a little more. I should work on that a little more. This is the kind of idea. And we do that over and again, over and over again enough times, and we start to develop roots that sink deeper into the soil. And God can build and fashion together a life of faithfulness on those roots. You got to say, 
No to distraction. Yes to pain. And then, and then I just want to close with this, of course. You want to keep your eye on your great example. The writer goes on to say this, let us run with perseverance a race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured op- this opposition from sinners so that you yourself will not grow weary and lose heart. I've been upping my workout game a little bit. Some of you said it's about time. And uh, I have been, I've been, uh, I went with a friend of mine to uh, Orange Theory. I want to show you a picture. Here's, my, here's me and my friend right there, Mr. Pete Wellman. And, uh, and, uh, and so you all know what Orange, have you ever, you're familiar with Orange Theory? There, there are these different zones that you try to, they put a heart monitor on and you've got to live in this zone. So there's like gray, blue, green, orange, and red. So gray, blue, and green, are, they're not really, as I'm learning, they're not really challenging Orange is where you're just really doing the best. Reds, you're gonna die. <laughs> so I'm in there. I'm in there. Wor- I'm in there working out, and and the the and we're all on this together. It's like this sort of a unique little challenge. We're all monitored up, so everybody's all together. And I'm in there giving this a test, testing this out. And the and the lady who's leading the class comes over and she says, "How you doing? You doing okay?" And of course, you try to present yourself great, right? And I said, "Yeah, I'm doing great." She goes, "You're a liar." I said. Why, why am I a liar? She goes, look at the monitor. I look up at the monitor. Everybody is orange or green. I'm red. And it says 102%. I looked over to Pete and I said, say nice things about me at my funeral. You know, and Pete's over there. He's like not even cracking a sweat. I mean, this is, this is the challenge. You, you run to finish. And this is what Jesus is inviting all of us to do right now. This is what the Spirit of God is saying to us in this room. You've started He's with you. Finish what you've started, everybody. Finish it. You'll be glad you did, and the people around you, right, who are watching you, will be glad you did. Lord, I thank you this morning that your word is enough. I thank you, God, that that every time we embark on the journey of opening your word. It speaks life and challenge to us. Remind us, oh God, in this space, in this way, because we don't talk about this a lot, that this matters. Finishing well matters. I envision, Lord, that maybe there would be some of us in this room right now that that on the basis of their commitment to you, on the basis of their desire to finish well, that family down in the future will one day maneuver their way to our gravestones and look at our grave marker and say it was right there that our family changed forever for the good because of the commitment of this person to finish well. Give us that challenge, we pray, and let us not be set aside by anything that gets in the way. Make us brave. For we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Be reminded in this space that when we're singing songs like this that remind us that you've made a way for us to enter in, it was because you completed the task and the work your heavenly Father asked you to do that you entered into willingly, Lord. And let that be as an example to us to finish what we've started, to finish strong, to finish faithful, 
and to run the race that you've given to us. These are our prayers. We pray them as a church. We pray them as followers of Jesus, for it's in your name. And everyone said, amen. Will you go in his blessing and his grace and his mercy? We'll see you next weekend.